Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Jonathan Chambers, a partner with Connexon, which is a company delivering fiber broadband networks and services for rural electric cooperatives, and Herschel Arant, the Senior Vice President of Energy Supply and External Services with Central Georgia EMC, an electric cooperative operating in Georgia since 1937. We discuss how Connexon and Central Georgia EMC are working together to deliver fiber broadband to the electric co-op service territory and why electric co-ops are especially well-placed to close the digital divide in the rural U.S. All right, Jonathan and Herschel, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Um, Before uh, we dive into some of the specifics about this project that you guys are working on together in Georgia, I'd love to hear from each of you uh, a bit of background um, on on your your respective companies. Um, Jonathan, I've written about Connexon before, but it's your first time on the podcast. So why don't we start with you with a a bit of background on Connexon and Connect? Sure. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for inviting us. Um, So Connexon was founded on an idea. Um, an idea which was then implemented in uh, rural Missouri. The idea was that we could build fiber optic networks, that is to say the best possible internet access networks anywhere in the country, including the most rural, the most remote, the most difficult terrain in the country. Um, But, because there's always a but, but to do so we had to work with the rural electric cooperatives that had been formed and had sustained communities for the past 80 years. We've now done that all across the country, um, including in in, um, a large part of Georgia, the central part and southern part of Georgia. Awesome. So let's let's talk about Georgia for a second. Herschel, tell me a bit about Central Georgia EMC, uh, your background and how you guys ended up moving into the fiber game. Sure. Thank you, Nicole, for having uh, us represented on the podcast today. Central Georgia EMC was founded in 1937. We're a a rural electric cooperative like hundreds around the country who were founded to give our membership access to electricity, reliable and cost-effective service. Uh, We serve parts of 14 counties in Central Georgia from uh, the southern suburbs of Atlanta down to Macon, Georgia, along the I-75 corridor. Um, we, we worked for about two years on what we called the broadband problem. Uh, here in our service territory, uh, we serve about 63,000 electric service locations, and uh, just over a third uh, had no access to broadband services. That's according to the the 25-3 definition. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, pretty pretty uh, bad service in a lot of areas or just absolutely no service whatsoever. Uh, our membership pushed us to help them find access to, to broadband service. It became clear um, that w- we were going to have to be part of the solution. We, we uh, looked and considered for a, a long time what role we should play. Uh, different service providers, different technologies, and, and finally we met Connexon and 
and determined that a, a fiber to the to the home project was going to be the the way that we would move forward to help our membership gain access to broadband service. Okay, fantastic. So, Jonathan, then tell me a bit about you know when you guys got together with uh, Central Georgia EMC about the partnership and, and what Connexon's role is in the in the build, um, and a bit about the funding sources if you can get into that as well. Sure, thanks. So we. Uh... We had been, and the we in this case is Connexon, founded by Randy Clint, my business partner. We had grown Connexon from the two of us uh, six, seven years ago to now close to 600 employees. Um, We had grown that business working with electric co-ops so that electric co-ops could build a fiber network, integrate it into their electric network, and offer services to their members in almost every one of those cases up until having met Herschel and Central Georgia, we helped the electric co-op operate, helped them operate the business, meaning we provided call center services, network operation center services, we managed the construction, we did certain parts of the construction, we designed the network, we did marketing for the co-op. So we provided all the support in the, but, but, again, always a but, we often ran into co-ops who were comfortable owning a network, comfortable constructing a network, comfortable maintaining the the fiber on their poles, yet they didn't want to operate a fiber optic network, an internet access network. They didn't want to get into a new line of business. They felt either it was outside of their capability or their desire to operate a new business. So we had for several years been in discussions with co-ops in different parts of the country about Connexon operating as well as providing the support and the, the construction, operating the business too. We found in central Georgia and a half dozen other uh, uh, electric membership corporations in the central part of Georgia we found in them a partner and we negotiated um, in the sense that we sat down over a period of weeks and then months about what the structure should look like, who would do what, who owned what, who was responsible for what. Um, and, And that culminated in us bidding, first of all, in the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund auction in their service territory Um, And in us uh, building and operating a network where Central Georgia owns the fiber network, leases the fiber to us, and then we do all of the other piece parts in getting the network up and running, Uh, provisioning, providing the service, billing for the service, maintaining the network, um, marketing the service, um, and our economic arrangement is just that they the the co-op is responsible for the things that they've been doing for 80 plus years maintaining wires on their poles and we do the things that we've been doing for a long long time building networks operating networks making service available to those who live in rural areas that's the core of the arrangement we have launched in central Georgia for the first time in Georgia, maybe the first time anywhere in rural America, a two gigabit per second symmetrical service. We did that a year ago. 
um, and and I'll, I'll make this one comment about it. Our core belief has always been that rural Americans would want the same levels of service, the same types of service, the same quality that the rest of the country gets. We think we've proven that with Central Georgia. A third of our customers take two gigabit service. A third wow. take gigabit service and a third take our other service, which is 100 megabit service, meaning the old definitions of broadband, even the one that Herschel mentioned before of 25 megabits per second down, three megabits per second up. The new definitions included the notice of inquiry that the FCC has put out, which is 100 megabits per second down, 20 megabits per second up. That's too slow for us. That's too slow. We don't even offer a service that slow. And what we found is in rural America, nobody wants a service that slow. They want the same quality of service you can get everywhere. That's what this partnership has demonstrated. We have built quickly, and the service we provide has been has been taken up by the members of the Central Georgia Electric Membership Corporation in droves. So what um, what state is this build in right now? Um, and what are some challenges you guys are encountering? Because this is all this is a lot of new stuff. It's new for this area of Georgia to have fiber. This is a new type of partnership for Connexon. Um, so tell me from both of your perspectives uh, where you are in the process and um, how, what are some bumps along the road so far that could be illustrative for anyone else who's looking for a, a similar type of partnership. Uh, let's start with you, Herschel. So, <clears throat> Nicole, I'll, I'll throw some numbers at you to, to sure. quantify where we stand. Our project is just under 4,000 miles of, of uh, primary fiber build. We have about 1,100 in place today, uh, 830 miles lit. So 830 miles of fiber that is lit serving uh, broadband customers and our smart grid needs. Uh, we've passed about 11,000 service locations so far uh, with the lit fiber and uh, 2,400 are connected, receiving service with access to, to two gigs of metrical service. We have about 1,700 locations that are in queue. Uh, they're uh, served on these lit circuits and we're just working through uh, the process of getting them connected to the network. So uh, from, from those numbers, uh, it's, it's pretty clear that there's been a, uh, a really uh, big outpouring of support for the project, a uh, large percentage of people who qualify for the service now are, are taking the service. And uh, the best part of this whole project is experiencing the service. Uh, the, everyone that gives us feedback it tells us that it's, it's amazing, uh, especially those who've never had broadband service at their homes. Same questions for you, Jonathan. Yes, so, so think of what Herschel just described we brought in um, mainline construction workers about a year ago, um, about 13 months ago. Um, we like to build at a pace of about a thousand miles each year in any given area. We, we connect on, we build over a thousand miles a week um, around the country, but for any given area like central Georgia, um, we scope that project out so that we can get everybody 
access to the internet within within several years, three, four years. If, if Central Georgia's footprint was larger, we would probably have increased the pace. I said, we, we'd like to build at about a thousand miles a year, but we also like to get everything completed within several years. Because if you go to an area that has lacked service, that has been considered unserved by any definition, and you tell them you're coming, but you'll be there in eight years, you may as well, you may as well have told them that you're not coming. Right. So we will get all of central Georgia built over the next several years, as we will in the other co-op territories in the, in the uh, uh, surrounding areas where we're building surrounding central Georgia. And as Herschel also mentioned, you know, the take rate. So we've got people in, in queue, of course, because as we build, we open up electric feeders that are built with fiber for availability of service. Um, we are finding within the first month or so of opening up a feeder, we get 30 plus percent take rate in the first month. We expect that eventually we'll get about half or 60% of the members. It's a competitive market. We think our service offering is superior to others, but we've got to compete on quality of service, on customer support, on all of those things that everybody else competes with. The advantage we have is that we are not introducing ourselves new to the area. Mm -hmm. Service is marketed and is provided together with the co-op. So the co-op has an 85 year history of quality of service, of low rates for their electric, of responding to their membership when there's difficulties, of, of rebuilding networks in the case of storms, of hurricanes, of ice storms, um, and we're right there with them. So what the membership knows when they sign up for service is a couple of things. One, they, the membership, own the network. So Central Georgia EMC, they own this fiber network. We're just leasing it from them. And because of that, the recipients of the service, the subscribers to the internet service are also the owners of the network. I think there's nothing sort of more uh, compelling. And, and I, I've advised policymakers for years and years. And when I was a policymaker myself, this was my principal advocacy position within the federal government, that the public funds should go back to the public so that the owner of the fiber networks would be the same people who receive service. If you do that one thing before, if you'll allow me one second on the policy for the $42.45 billion that's going to be spent from NTIA through the states to networks to be built, focus on who owns the network. Because right now, if you look in Georgia or Florida or Mississippi or Arkansas or anywhere we build, the owners of the network are becoming the people who live and work in those areas. And that's what will make the difference. Not speeds, not technology, not some notion of the definition of broadband or the use of broadband. Who owns the network? 
Herschel Arendt and his uh, cooperative, they own the network. And that's that makes all the difference. If you're going to spend public money, spend it on the people who live and work in rural areas. Very well said. And to that point, um, I did want to know, this is being funded, in fact, by federal funds, right, through the American Rescue Plan Act um, and state grants? Central Georgia EMC was awarded a grant um, to help us with phase one. Mm-hmm. Phase one of our project will reach about 20,000 service locations, and the grant we were awarded uh, will fund about half of the cost. Okay. okay so the, so- the, the remainder of the capitalization for the project is a commitment by the membership of the cooperative uh, through loan funds. That, that okay. would be the other uh, method we have for capitalizing the network. Um, But Jonathan, do you see an opportunity for some of those bead funds to come your way for this project and and similar ones? So um, over the last 10 years, the the federal government has spent, coincidentally, I guess, has spent about $45 billion on rural broadband. Now the bead funds come. $42.5 billion for rural broadband in the exact same places that the $45 billion was spent. The exact same places. No different, really. I could show you with maps. Exactly the same places. So, yeah, absolutely. If the bead funds are spent in the same manner that the FCC spent the $45 billion, We'll be back here in 10 years' time having this same conversation, although it won't be me. <laughs> um, if instead the bead funds are spent on networks owned by local communities, cooperatives are, are, a, are a pure manifestation of local ownership of a really vital asset, electric assets, telecommunications assets, and so Yes, if the bead funds are spent differently, if the bead funds are spent not to give money to the same folks that didn't build broadband networks when they were given money the first go round, but instead given to the folks who built the electric networks without federal grants. One thing to know about the way the electric co-ops were built starting in the 1930s, they never got any public grants, no public subsidies. They got loans low interest loans from the federal government. Now that there are grants, if you give money to the people who will own the network, you relieve the burden that they have had historically of borrowing money and paying back that money over time. So the way most of our projects are funded are the co-op borrows money from one of the traditional lending institutions, the Rural Utility Service, CoBank, CFC, they borrow money. And then over the course of 30 years, they pay back those loans based on the revenues that that are generated through electricity, now through broadband. A little bit of help, a little bit of that 45 billion, 42 and a half billion will relieve rural America 
from having to take on a debt burden to do for themselves what the rest of the country gets without having to borrow its own money. And these are often some of the poorest parts of the country. There are persistent poverty counties. We put a map together that I'll send you sometime. Persistent poverty counties in the country, that is counties where, where um, a substantial number of the residents of the county live under the poverty line. The vast majority of persistent poverty counties are served by electric co-ops because they're the same areas that have been sparsely populated, that have been economically disadvantaged for decades now. So a little bit of this public funds to go back into the pockets of the people who live there ensures that they can hold on to that asset, they can serve themselves with a service that is priced to be affordable. So let's hope we are sitting here in 10 years time having a conversation about how all that money went to the right places and you are now serving all of rural America with multi-gigabit internet. We're having this conversation in the metaverse probably because it's just so easy to do that at this point. Um, So let's say all of that happens. um, And regardless, you guys are on the road to delivering an incredible service here in in central Georgia. So uh, Herschel, just to finish out with you, what real world impact is this new network is all of this fiber going to have on your region that you mentioned up at the top is pretty unserved uh, when it comes to high-speed broadband access. How do you see this changing, you know, the local economy and, and just people's lives in general? Well, the the availability of service, like we've been describing, is transformational for a community. Uh, we, we talk about Uh, economic development. We are economic developers. The electric cooperatives are economic developers. That's what we do. Uh, But we see the communities that we serve uh, being transformed with access to this service, not just in the traditional anecdotal things we talk about related, say, to the COVID uh, pandemic, Uh, students trying to learn from home or telemedicine. Those are those are um, low-hanging fruit. So, so what we see happening to our community now is a complete transformation of the way people can live, work, and play. Uh, we're on the edge of the Atlanta metropolitan area. Uh, it's, it's going to expand into our service territory in ways that it never could before. The opportunity to uh, live at home, work at home, Uh, with uh, remote uh, capabilities with this service is going to change people's lives. We anticipate uh, quality of life to follow in a a tremendous way, not just because you can now sit and stream a movie. That's that's not (laughs) the quality of life we're imagining. We expect there to be a whole uh, different level of service offerings in our community now because Uh, People that do not have to commute to downtown Atlanta anymore for their job are going to uh, demand and require those services be delivered closer to their home. So so we expect quality of life to uh, be raised dramatically in in our service territory. And then uh, we can talk about the uh, commercial and industrial development that we expect that can't be here now because we do not have broadband service to support them to help diversify our tax base. 
um, which is another fundamental tenet of economic development. So uh, we think in 10 years, we're going to be able to sit back and, and be very pleased with how our community has, has evolved and grown and developed and um, be very satisfied with the fact that we were able to take this step today. Yeah, that's that'll be something to be really proud of. Um, you guys are doing awesome work. This is an exciting project. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me about it. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nicole. Appreciate Thank you. your interest. Thank you again, Jonathan and Herschel, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriel, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.